Good morning, beloved. Let me welcome you this morning to Bible study time here with Rick Bonfin Ministries. I'm Gene Thomas, and it's always a pleasure to come together with you and read the word of the Lord and think about it just a little while before we begin our day, perhaps. But here in Virginia, it's a rainy old soggy day today and cold, sort of dreary. And I've always kind of liked to study the Bible on a day like that. As you let the word of God enfold you with its own special warmth. And a good, wonderful time to be apart with the Lord. In our studies, we've gone through First Timothy together. And it seemed reasonable, I guess, for them to assign me to the beginning of Second Timothy. And I have that to overview with you this morning, the very first chapter of Second Timothy. And we're going to look at this as a single text. And we're going to be at an altitude from individual verses that may be uh, significant to us or individual words. But we will look at some of those from, from the altitude of the very first chapter. Now, in order to accomplish that, we need to read it first. And, and I'm going to do that. I'm going to use the Living Bible. And I'm going to begin now. From Paul, Jesus Christ's missionary sent out by God to tell men and women everywhere about the eternal life he's promised them through faith in Christ. To Timothy, my dear son, may God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord shower you with his kindness, mercy, and peace. How I thank God for you, Timothy. I pray for you every day. Many times during the long nights, I beg my God, to bless you richly. He is my Father's God and mine, and my only purpose in life is to please Him. How I long to see you again, how happy I would be, for I remember your tears as we left each other. I know how much you trust the Lord, just as your mother Eunice and your grandmother Lois do. And I feel sure you are still trusting him as much as ever. This being so, I want to remind you to stir into flame the strength and boldness that is in you, that entered into you, when I laid my hands upon your head and blessed you. For the Holy Spirit, God's gift, does not want you to be afraid of people. 
but to be wise and strong and to love them and to enjoy being with them. If you will stir up this inner power, you will never be afraid to tell others about our Lord or to let them know that I am your friend, even though I am here in jail for Christ's sake. You will be ready to suffer with me for the Lord, for he will give you strength in suffering. It is he who saved us and chose us for this holy work. Not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan long before the world began to show his love and kindness to us through Christ. And now he's made all of this plan to us by the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who broke the power of death and showed us the way of everlasting life through trusting him. And Christ has chosen me to be his missionary, to preach to the Gentiles and teach them this is why I'm suffering here in jail, and I am certainly not ashamed of it. For I know the one in whom I trust, and I'm sure that he's able to safely guard all that I have given him until the day of his return. Hold tightly to the pattern of truth I taught you, especially concerning the faith and love of Jesus Christ, that he offers you. God, well, the splendid God-given ability you received as a gift from the Holy Spirit who lives within you. As you know, all the Christians who came here from Asia have deserted me. Even Phygelus and Hermogenes are gone. May the Lord bless Onesiphorus and all his family because he visited me and encouraged me often. Onesiphorus. His visits revived me like a breath of fresh air and he was never ashamed of my being in jail. In fact, when he came to Rome, he searched everywhere trying to find me, and finally did. May the Lord give him a special blessing at the day of Christ's return. And you know better than I can tell you how much he helped me at Ephesus. And there ends the first chapter of the lesson today, the first, first chapter of Second Timothy. It's a dramatic, a dramatic opening uh, here. Here's a man in jail writing to a disciple of his, a follower of his, yes, a young pastor that he sent to this place in Ephesus. But it's, it's obvious from these words that he thinks of him uh, almost as a biological son. He, 
it thinks of him in a way that it may be even closer than that, uh, just with great love and, and, and hope for. He corrects him a little in this in this text here. Talks about his his and perhaps some of his shortcomings, but it's a very sweet uh, rhetorical movement of love and joy, and it opens that way. And it, if you read it and think about it, it, it's dramatic. It's dramatic in the way that it talks about this this young man. Uh, as, as we open up here, I, I want to just mention something about what's called authenticity. Because sometimes you Bible scholars out there are going to be studying this text with some people who may maybe have uh, some uh, seminary background. Maybe they don't, but maybe they've come across the notion that Paul really didn't write this text. Uh, and that, that's a that is not, it's not a shame to think that way. It is not, not to be ashamed, but it is to understand that, in fact, uh, you have to account for what makes you think he didn't. <laughs> because it, says, it starts off by saying that who it's from and who it's addressed to. You know, bum from Paul, blah, 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 to Timothy. And he goes on to say, uh, talk about Timothy. And the letter seems, the letter seems to stress that. However, in the quest of authenticity, some of the words here do not appear in the rest of the Pauline epistles. It's just oddly, weirdly different. Some of the theology is a little bit different. I won't go into all that and bore you to death, but there's a little bit of difference in the persuasions there that, that leak forth here. That's just one thing, one thing they said. It may have been written by a secretary. There's a secretarial formula, which is given up a lot of time in biblical criticism as a reason to doubt the authenticity of the text. That is, that the secretary wrote using their verbiage, using their language. I wouldn't be surprised at that. I wouldn't be surprised at that. But the fact remains... It loses its story value to me a little bit when you think somebody else just kind of put this together. No, I don't think so. I'm going to talk it to you about it as if it is in this narrative letter, words of St. Paul himself, because otherwise it would be uh, not worth considering in terms of the depth of the story. Uh, some people can tell a Bible story better than others, uh, and it doesn't take great scholarship to be able to do that. Uh, in fact, in the, in the days before the Civil War, the slaves in the South had preachers, many of them who could not read. They were not literate, but they knew the stories. They had been told the stories from the time they were in children growing up. The stories came from their mother. To their, from their grandmother to their mother to them. Uh, just like in this text, most boys were raised by their mother. And Jesus was raised up until he was 12 years old, almost totally in a female kind of a world. That is, that his, his spirituality was developed in that way. The same is true here with Paul. 
same is true with Timothy, pointing back to the mothers of his faith, you see. That's a very significant consideration to, to use as we go forth through this text. We're going to see how important it, this, this mothering is, this Eunice and Lois. And they're not the first to do that. I mean, they, there are many spiritual fathers in the church who were nurtured and brought to that place by their mothers. St. Augustine was one of them like that. John Wesley was one of them like that. His mother, Susanna Wesley, did most of the spiritual instruction, even though his father was a priest. It just works out that way most often. Most often. In my life, my mother uh, took me to various churches on Sunday morning and sort of dropped me off. I, I was, it was either sink or swim in different uh, denominations. And, and I grew to learn to love different ways of thinking about God and looking at God. And it served a good purpose because she got rid of me for a little while because I was a bad boy anyway. And... Uh, it made me make many friends across different denominational lines, and I, I would meet children that I went to school with, and we'd, we'd share a, a place for a while. But it was not good to have that eclectic sort of teaching, but it's what was given to me by my mother passed on to me. And I'm sure your mother passed a lot on to you, but that that's an important place to, to, to ricochet as you go into these verses. Remember, this stuff came not from some skilled man so much as it came from a mothering heart, able to tell a story and do a drama. Now, those black slave preachers in the South, very few other preachers have ever been able to tell a story as good as they can and also to fix it up so that it makes it even more reasonable than it really is and make it powerful and not being able to read a stroke. So no matter what you think of the text, no matter what you think of the words, or who wrote it, or what it's all about, it's a beautiful story given to us by God for us to understand the depth of Jesus, his power, his might, his glory, his wonder. If you look with me at uh, this, this promise of life in verse 1, it's very important because he starts off that way, talking about eternal life, the promise of life. This is the life that's everlasting. This is the life that's in you and me that cannot die. When when the body, the, the you know, bio is a Greek word for biological. When, when biological life ends, and it's, it's just life. But there is within us a zoe, a kind of life that's lively and alive, that goes on for eternity, promised to you because of your faith in Jesus. See, faith in Jesus produces the life that is within us. And that's, that's the promise that Paul is operating on here in jail. He has probably been already now uh, convicted of being one of the Christians that set fire to Rome. That's what Nero said. And he was sentenced to be to death, which meant that he was going to be beheaded. So he's wrapping up his life now, talking to his 
talking to his son, Timothy, telling him what's going on, telling him, giving him some last-minute instructions about his church and what he should do about that. His dear son, he calls him. Uh, he loves him like a child. And this word is, is very, very important in the second verse there. My dear son, may God the Father, Christ Jesus our Lord, shower you with his kindness, mercy, and peace. Oh, Jesus, that's a, what a salutation, what a word to hear. From Lois in verse 5 to Timothy, his mother was a Jew, and this is a matriarchal relationship to this boy that has made him what he is. Paul knows that. He knows that, see? He automatically knows that. Why does he know that so good? How can he go back so far? Do you expect Timothy told him that? I don't know. I didn't do what I think. I think that those two were church ladies in that Ephesus crowd out there. I believe so. In most churches I've ever encountered, there's a female presence that runs every doggone thing in here, from the from the balcony to the basement. Uh, they just are, it's just a part of what Christianity became very quickly. How I long to see you again. He says in the fourth verse there, how happy I would be, for I remember the tears as we left each other. See how beautiful that is? And they must have cried on one another's shoulder. I know how much you trust the Lord, just as your mother Eunice and your grandmother Lois do. I feel sure you are still trusting him as much as ever. So see, that goes on there with that emphasis on those two. This being so, I want to remind you to stir up the flame. Now, that's the next thing I want to mention to you, to uh, enkindle the the gift of God that is within you. Uh, our, our current bishop up here in Virginia has been asking us for the years that she's been here to stir up the gift. I mean, I've heard her preach that several several occasions, stir up the gift it, by that is meant that we need to uh, take like you take a polka and put it in the fire, in the fireplace, and hit the ashes and the ember, you will produce a flame to make it come higher, go higher. Uh, and that's what he encourages Timothy to, to do. You know, many of us will let the fire go out. We just will. You can give somebody a extra blessing of the Holy Ghost and all its power, and they'll say, thank you, Jesus, and then sort of sit on it, you know, just sort of sit on it. Don't do much of anything else. Recall that moment, you know, with great glory and power, that time when I was converted when I was five years old, and there they're 70, you understand? And the distance between the two is just nothing, nothing there much. You don't just sit on the gift of God. Uh-uh. You stir that thing. You rattle that frying pan so that grease gets around in there and starts cooking again. Well, how can you do that? How can you How can you do that? There are all kinds of ways to do it. Uh, one of the things you can do is get back to your Bible again. See where you put it. Maybe it's on the coffee table, all dusted up. Get that thing out and 
flap it open and go to work on it. Just just have fun and dig right into that thing. When is the last time that you got yourself together and went to church to have Holy Communion? I mean, just for that purpose, you know. Don't, don't go out there and worry about what the preacher's going to say or whether or not the preacher's going to please you or whatever. No, go, go, go to get the Lord's Supper because that's what we're commanded to do. And that is a means of the grace of God to grow stronger in your life. So, yeah, search those scriptures and, 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 and grab a hold of that, that, that Bible and wring it right out until, you get, until it blesses you again and stirs up the gift that is within you there. Just trying to get out. And the Holy Communion will, it, it will nourish it and make it strong. And you don't even know this is happening to you when it's happening. But the more you take the Lord's Supper, the stronger you get. Ah, you know, and you get like what Timothy is urged to do by Paul, which is get bolder. Get bolder, my friend. He said he will give you strength in suffering. It says that in the, uh, what about the eighth verse there. He will give you strength in, in your suffering if you will stir up the inner power that is within you. He saved you for his holy work. Don't be afraid. Because the spirit of fear, there in verse 7, the spirit of fear is that which uh, does, does battle with the Holy Spirit. It, it creates a condition in you in which you feel spiritually afraid. It, it's not the same word there that's used for fear in other places in the gospel. It's a different word. This is a spiritual fear as opposed to a phobia. Most of the time, Greek uses the word phobia for fear. That is, it's mostly mental. It's a mental thing. This is a different animal. This comes at you from a spiritual side. And, you, you know, you, if you don't know the Spirit, you don't know what you'd be afraid of. I mean, just walk right dumbly right into the, into the greatest mess you ever saw because you don't have a sense of being spiritually afraid of anything. I mean, you can watch something wrong on TV, read a bad book, you can get messed up, and all of a sudden you'll feel uncomfortably afraid of something. That's just the spirit of fear. It's Della is what his name is. Della in the Greek there. So he, he wants Timothy to see bold in a spiritual sense. Not just of, you know, not just to have phobias, but to have this spiritual side of him corrected, straightened out, made plain. Well, he has a sort of a theology here of election. He talks about how Timothy was saved for the reason of being uh, made a minister of God's will and work. He saved us and chose us, you see, to, to, for his holy work, not because we deserved it, but because it was his plan long before the world began to show his love and kindness to us through Christ. And now he has made all of this plain to us by the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. 
See, that's a that that is some some fine Calvinist theology there, that, uh, almost of election. That is that they were elected, but but in other places, Paul has a, a little different twist on this particular theology. He says in verse uh, twelve, "That is why I am suffering here in jail, and I'm certainly not ashamed of it." For I know the one in whom I trust. I'm sure that he is able to safely guard all I have given him until the day of his return. So his situation, Paul is asserting here, is perfectly all right because he is in God's care. See, God's care. And you know, if you go into prisons, sometimes. Being in the ministry, know you are a pastor, you'll have to go to a jail for various reasons. And I know I've been in there many times. And and God God just in, is in, infests jails. He's everywhere in there. I mean, and he works in there. I, I tried to get into a woman's prison one time down in uh, West Virginia. And uh, I had a communion thing with me. Now, it looked, it, it, I didn't look like a communion case. It was made out of sort of a, a leather thing. And for all the guards knew that I could have had a 38 pistol in that thing. And I walked right up to the, to the metal detector and the guard said, give me that box. And I gave him the box and he sent me through the metal detector and he took the box around to the backside and gave it to me. I thought, my God, if I had a pistol in there, I could shoot up everybody in there because that, that didn't go through the metal detector. I did. So God is everywhere. I'm just using this as an example. I mean, but I did find the person I was looking for. I have found other people. I, was, I One time I was in a jail in a place called Lawrenceville, Virginia, Great, uh, one, of our, one of our larger institutions there out in the country. And I went in there to see a boy for his mother. Mother sent me to see a young man. And uh, she was concerned about him. And uh, I went in the jail, and they sent me to a room where he was going to come into the room with me. And I waited for him a while there. And pretty soon the prisoner came in the room. And, and he had a, 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 a Bible study paper under his arms. And I looked at him, and I said, where would where, you get that from? And he said, oh, you go back and tell my mama that I'm doing just fine in here. He said, I'm doing fine. It won't be too long and I'll get out. But at the meantime, he said, I've been growing closer to God. And I said, you have? What would you do? He said, I've been studying the Bible like I've never studied before. He said, I've got this great Bible study plan here. And I thought, where did that man get a Bible study plan in jail like this? And he showed me. And you know where it came from? About 45 miles to the other way was a guy named Jerry Falwell. Any of y'all remember Jerry Falwell? <laughs> he got more heat as a pastor politically than anybody I ever knew. And maybe he deserved it. But somehow or another, his organization reached out, crossed the way, got in that jail, and got that boy back on the right track again. And nobody even knew it, his mama or his pastor or anybody else. Well, there's something to be said, you see, for jailhouse 
confessions, they always call. But they are, there's power in them. And there's power in Paul, not because he's in jail, but because he's confined and becoming his closing, coming to the close of his life. It's a sweet, sweet, sweet story. Uh, and I don't have time to do much more with it this morning with you all. But I just want to to close by saying, when you read it, the next time you read the, this, either First Timothy or Second Timothy, think of the think of the rhetorical drama that there is about it, and read it thinking about how this man is in is in jail, and and read his thoughts as if he's giving them to you in a in a dramatic way. See, uh, anybody remember Catherine Kuhlman? Wonderful old evangelist a few years ago. She used to, she had a way with words and gestures that were just so dramatic and so powerful. And she would talk about the verses of the Bible as if they were one of the most beautiful things in the world. And this is a text where you do that. And you get away with it because its intention is to be beautifully rhetorical like that. So we can, we can say with Paul, may the Lord give you a special blessing at the day of Christ's return. Amen. I'll see you next time, and I hope you have a beautiful day. Let me pray for you before we go. Lord, thank you for the beautiful spirit of the letters of Timothy. And we thank you for each of the precious chapters and for this first one where Paul just holds forth his humanity and his love. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen.